really got me too. So thank you, Pastor Joel, for sharing that. Hey, I want to ask a question at the start of the message here. How many of you have ever maybe gotten down because you didn't get what you wanted? Anyone in here, right? There's something that you just wanted and maybe you didn't get it and so you got down about it. Well, uh, back in my early life, in my teen, early kind of later teen years into young adult years, I was a manager at Target and there's a certain season uh, in retail that uh, I like to refer to as hell day. And that is Black Friday. Anyone ever work retail on Black Friday? It is awful, okay? Terrible as an employee uh, working that day. And I'll never forget it. I was in charge of the TVs that were ticketed. So people were standing in long lines. This was back, by the way, when they decided they wanted to open um, like up on Thanksgiving Day, which made no sense to me. I'm like, come on, it's not even Black Friday anymore. Now it's Black Thursday and Friday. Uh, and so there's this massive line outside of our store. I was in charge of getting like the TVs and, and distributing them. And so this guy comes up. Now this is about an hour in and you see some crazy stuff on Black Friday. I don't know if you ever seen like people really ruthless to each other, but Black Friday is one of those days. People want that $10 toaster, man. Like they will fight you for it. And so there's just like this commotion in the store. There's just this chime. Well, this guy comes up and he says, hey, I want one of those TVs. And I said, sure, no problem, man. Uh, You know, you got a ticket. And he's like, no, I ain't got a ticket. Just give me one of those TVs. And I said, hey, man, I, I, listen, they were ticketed. People waited literally all all day and night for this. And he's like, you're going to give me one of those TVs. And he got right in my face with his really bad breath and, um, and demanded that I give him the TV. And I said, sir, I cannot give you this TV. If I give you this TV, someone who waited all day is going to miss out. And this guy proceeded to call me every sailor curse word in the book. I won't repeat them here in church, but it was, it was a scene. It, it got so bad that some employees had to come over with me. And then our security had to escort the gentleman out of the store. Moral of the story, he didn't get what he wanted. He was, I'm assuming, down, angry. He was mad at me. And we're in this series called Beating the Winter Blues. And We've been exploring these different ideas of mental health struggles. I love in week one that Pastor Joel uh, from his home talked about how do we beat these holiday post blues, right? We came out of such a joyful time with Christmas and now it's winter time here in Pennsylvania. Uh, we experienced our first snowstorm uh, a week ago, maybe one coming up this week. That excites me, by the way. I know I'm a crazy Floridian. I love snow. So I'm praying the snow comes to us. Some of you are praying against that. It's not the word of the Lord. Snow will come in Jesus' name. <laughs> and, and so he talked about how do, we, how do we beat these post-holiday blues? And then week two, I thought Pastor Jeremy did such a wonderful job talking about the pandemic of loneliness. And in our society post-COVID, we are in this kind of stretch and day where uh, loneliness is at an all-time high. People learn to isolate themselves. And now we have this pandemic of loneliness where people are, are concerned and they're lonely. And today I want to talk about maybe something that's not so fun to talk about. It's depression. And depression is one of those subjects I feel as a church, uh, not just our church, but as the, the global church that oftentimes we don't want to really talk about or go there. But recently I've been encouraged to see a lot of churches have been addressing uh, this concern. And, and depression is one of these things that I think 
all of us throughout our human life will at one point go through a season of depression. No matter how happy of a person you are, my wife will tell you, I am the most optimistic person in the world. I can see the blue sky in the most negative situation, but I have walked through some really dark seasons of depression. And I want to show you some graphs real quick. We're going to throw these graphs on the screen so you can see. These, these come from a national study of uh, depression. In the, in the first graph, if we have it, maybe, there it is. Yep. So this one was uh, uh, depression among uh, adults in 2021. And you can see where the data comes from. You can see that uh, there's some significant spikes, especially in young adults. I want to point that out. And then you can look at the race and ethnicity and see, but check this out, 21 million adults in the United States, according to this research that was done in 2021, had one major depressive episode, right? That's pretty alarming, 21 million adults. In this graph, you can break down the numbers of the different races, and again, male or female, we see that uh, for whatever reason, female is a little bit higher on that scale, um, so this is, this is alarming. Let's throw up the next graph. This one is for adolescents. You see the numbers are much higher, specifically in, in again, female. And um, in the United States, and again, according to the research that was done, 5 million adolescents aged 12 to 17 in the United States had at least one major episode of depression. Right? This is kind of bleak. I was looking at these statistics uh, as I was preparing the sermon. I was like, man, this is, this is crazy, especially as someone who pastors the next generation, seeing this as a common trend. And over the years of being in youth ministry, I've seen depression and suicide and cutting and all these different things that come along with it. But man, it's, it's gotten higher and it's alarming. And so like, what do, we, what do we do about this? These statistics are bleak and the thing that I know, the easy answer, but it's the best answer, is that Jesus always brings hope to those in the middle of depression. Always. I know that's like a kind of maybe a, well, sure he does. For maybe some of you watching online or in here today, maybe you're in that season of depression. You're thinking to yourself, man, like I'm not feeling the hope. Can I just encourage you to hang on? Jesus brings hope to those in the middle of depression. And so I want to look at a story in the Bible today that kind of unpacks a lot of this about a certain individual who struggled with depression, who struggled with anger, and then that led to him even wanting to take his own life. And that character is Jonah. You know, the guy that we learned about in Sunday school who got swallowed by a whale and was in a whale's belly, that guy, right? And so I want to, I want to start in verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we'll get to verse three. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. God says, hey, there's this city, this great, great city. Um, we'll read later in this book that actually it would take three to four days to get through the city. So it's a really large city. And God says, hey, the, their iniquities, their sin has come up to me, and it's time for something to be done. Verse 3, this would probably be a lot of our responses, right? But Jonah ran away. What if Jesus today said to you, hey, would you go preach the word to New York City? Through all the streets 
in Times Square. I just want you to be on the corner preaching. The world. What would you do, right, if a, if a big word like that came? It says, then Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that poor after paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What I love about the book of Jonah, it's, I often compare it to an onion because there's layers to it. There's the beginning of Jonah where the word of the Lord comes, he runs, right? I could preach a whole sermon about oftentimes God sends a word into our life and instead of embracing it and embracing our calling with it, we run from it. There's the middle part, which we're getting ready to read, where he's on the ship and like God's like causing this storm around the ship and the people on board are like, oh my gosh, get this guy off the boat. He's gonna drown all of us. Then there's the scene where he's in the whale's belly, right? Which is wild to me. I can't imagine this. He gets swallowed by a whale and he's living in a whale's belly and he's praying to the Lord to, uh, to, to rescue him. The same guy who ran from the Lord is now praying to the Lord to rescue him. And then we get to kind of the end of Jonah where he actually embraces the call in the word of the Lord and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches this, this message of saying, hey, you better get your life right. You better come to Jesus. Like there is gonna be like all chaos is about to break out. And then there's the end of it where Jonah is sitting on the hill watching Nineveh and he's expecting fire from heaven to destroy it. And instead God relents. And his response is where I want us to kind of dig in today because his response is super fascinating. But I want to go to verse 12 in chapter 1 and kind of talk about this narrative that's happening on the boat. It says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and, I'll be, and then it will become calm. I know that this is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder and wilder, and they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable. for So these guys are like, listen, we're going to kill him. We got to get him off the boat. And they're praying, God, don't hold us accountable for taking this man's life. Lord, uh, done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a great sacrifice to the Lord and even made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish. Again, we don't know what kind of fish. We say whale a lot. I don't, I don't know. Uh, a lot of theologians debate on this. Something swallowed Jonah. That's all we know. And Jonah was in its belly in the sea for three days and three nights. So Jonah gets this word, he runs from the Lord. In the middle of his running, he realizes, oh crap, I can't run from the Lord. Like the Lord is everywhere. He's going to come after me. He's going to get me. He's going to bring me back. I have an assignment. And so he's on this boat. The sea's kind of crashing. He realizes the ship's going to sink. He says, toss me overboard. They toss him overboard. He's in the fish. And, and in chapter three, I'm just going to recap it for us because we don't have time to go through every single chapter here. But in chapter three, Jonah is in the whale's belly and he's praying and asking, God, would you rescue me? Right? These prayers of Jesus, I, I need your help. Uh, maybe I'll just read a couple. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city and proclaim its message. I give you, Jonah obeyed the word and went to Nineveh. And so he gets out of the whale. God rescues him out of the whale. And then he goes to Nineveh. Finally, he finally obeys the word of the Lord, goes to Nineveh. He preaches like he's supposed to. And check this out. 
the city gives their life to God. In fact, the Bible even gets very descriptive. They put on sackcloth. I mean, they're like repenting full, full-heartedly. The entire city, the city that takes three to four days to get through, the entire place, the king, everyone's repenting. And so Jonah's sitting on the hillside, probably like, oh yeah, the fire's coming. It's going to destroy the city. Like he, for whatever reason, this dude has like this vindictive attitude to see the city destroyed. And he's sitting there and instead he doesn't see it. And in chapter four, this is where I want us to camp out on. It said, says this in verse one, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What? What do you, what do you mean this seemed like they just gave their life to God and he says, this is wrong. And instead he gets angry and anger then turns into depression Depression then leads into him saying, just take my life. I don't even want to live. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you didn't get what you wanted or something didn't go the way you thought it would? And that led into maybe some anger, just like that guy in Target who was calling me every name in the book. And then that anger slowly starts planting seeds of doubt. And and that doubt then turns into hopelessness and hopelessness then turns into depression. Depression, I often like to refer to it as a python because if you've ever been depressed, you know that it's like a snake around your body squeezing the life out of you. Depression hurts. It's painful. For those that aren't going through it, always seem like, well, just get through it. And for the person that is walking through it, it seems like a long, dark hallway that you can't escape. And for Jonah, he's in this spot where the word of the Lord came, he disobeyed, he gets thrown off the boat, he gets swallowed, he prays, the Lord rescues him. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches what he's supposed to do, he, he accepts the call, and now he didn't get what he wanted. The city repents and turns back to, the, to God. I want to continue here in chapter four, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. What? So he's saying, why bother going to Nineveh? I knew you would rescue them. This guy, again, there's like some kind of ego issue in his heart. He wants to see people dead, right? He wanted God's judgment on them. And he says, you're, you're a compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than live. What? I don't know about you, but man, if an entire city like Nineveh gave their life to Jesus, I hope I would be praise breaking up and down the streets. Right? That'd be a, imagine Mount Joy, a small town, giving their entire life to Jesus. I hope this church would be ringing with praises. And yet, Jonah is saying, take away my life. What? This is what depression does. Depression causes you, even in the middle of the most amazing circumstance, to see it in a negative light. 
It's a snake that coils around you and chokes out the life. Even when God's trying to open your eyes to see the many blessings that are happening, you can't because the enemy's blinded you. I love the Lord's reply. He says this, is it right for you to be angry? Have you ever had the Lord ask you a question and it's like a nail to the heart? All right, have you ever had, have, had the Lord ask you, hey, is it right for you to be depressed? Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to hold bitterness? Jonah had gone out and sat down by a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade. This is beautiful. This is amazing to me that this guy who is like completely upset, depressed, angry, suicidal, God sees his physical need of needing some shade, and he gets this gourd, some translations call it a gourd. He gets this gourd to grow up over Jonah to provide shade for him. This shows us that the God of the universe cares about our physical needs so much that even in our rebellion, even in our hatred, even in our depression, God sees our needs. He knows our needs. He causes this plant to grow up over him. And I love, watch this. This is funny. Jonah was very happy about the plant. Oh, the guy that just said, take my life is now all of a sudden happy. Isn't that what depression does? Sometimes it's like a tidal wave, just this up and down roller coaster of some days, man, I feel good. And some days I don't. God causes this plant to grow and the plant grows and Jonah's happy. Watch this though. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the plant so it withered when the sun rose. God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than live. The the same guy who just a night ago was happy, he's comforted, all of a sudden the plant goes away and now he's back into this depressive state. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Again, God's trying to do something in Jonah here. It is, he said. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. Man, this guy is crazy. I I never saw the book of Jonah this way. I was... uh, I had gone through a pretty dark season of depression, and so I, I went to a counselor, and um, I'll never forget the counselor sharing this story with me. He said, uh, look at Jonah's responses. And he said, I want you to look at the areas in your life that are under siege with depression and say to yourself, is there hope? Is it right for you to be depressed? If so, what's the reason? And so after looking at that and and exploring the book of Jonah, I realized, wow, this is such a great story for us as believers to kind of come into and see this is someone who God had called. He went, he preached, he saw the city saved and is still going through depression. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And I should, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. 
right? So the story ends there, and he basically says, hey, you're so concerned with your own comfort, and yet you cannot even care about the people in the city who are, are, weren't even following me, who you wanted judgment on, and now they gave their life to me, and now you're still upset, right? Again, depression cripples us. It's like a python grabbing on. If you're taking notes, write this down. My one and only point is this. We can't always control our circumstances or the outcome, but we can put our hope in the one who does. Right? We can't always control the circumstances. We can't always control the outcome, though I know for some of us in this room who are extra control freaks, we want to, man, put our hands on it and try to control it and get the outcome that we want, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. And so our response is we can put our hope in the one who always shows up, who is always faithful, who is always there to be our source of hope in our greatest time of need. And so how do we respond when depression hits and how do we put our hope in Jesus? Number one is we recognize our needs and thank God for his provision. If you were to ask yourself, do you know your own emotional needs? If you were to take an inventory today, maybe when you go home and say, man, what are some emotional needs I have? And how are those things not being fulfilled currently? Maybe that has you in a cycle of depression and, and realizing, oh man, there's some emotional things in my tank that just aren't being filled. I think it's important that we do a self-inventory. And there's some great resources out there that you can get a hold of that maybe helps you identify those. But sometimes it's just getting before God and saying, God, I have these needs that aren't being met. Can you maybe help guide me? I love in the story that God recognizes a physical need that Jonah has, and he causes this plant to grow over him to shade him. I think this is a powerful illustration that God always sees our needs, and he always provides. Right? The timing might not always be exactly when we want it, but he always provides. He always gives hope. He always sees where we're going through. Jonah had this physical need, which was shade from the hot sun, and God caused this, this, this plant, this gourd, to grow over him, to shade him. Matthew 6, verse 25, tells us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about the body, whatever you wear. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not uh, sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you add any life to you by worrying? Right, so Jesus is, is saying he sees our needs. If the birds of the air who don't have even the intellect that we do as humans can, can just go around freely and knowing that there's a place to eat, there's a place to call home. God's trying to get us to realize he sees our deepest needs. Church, he sees you in the middle of depression. He sees you as the snake of depression is coiling itself around you and trying to squeeze the life out of you. He sees you and he sends things along the way to provide for you 
in those times of need. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who I think is one of the top uh, researchers in, in cognitive research. Uh, she's also a believer. She has really, really amazing studies. I encourage you to go to, uh, she has a YouTube channel. Um, she has really wonderful books, but she gives these four warning signs about depression. And I want you guys to maybe look at these and just kind of take a self-evaluation. Some of you might say, I'm not depressed, but maybe you can take these warning signs to someone that maybe you know is it, like going through it. And some of these might make sense. So the first one is, uh, feelings of irritability and hopelessness. Have you ever just been real irritable where someone can just brush against you the wrong way and it just, man, it gets you upset. Or maybe your job, your situation, your home life, there's just something about it that's just causing a lack of hope. Right? It's an emotional warning signal. Ignoring calls, texts, or emails. This is a behavioral warning signal. Now, I, I'll be the first to say I am terrible at replying sometimes to text messages. My wife gets on me all the time about it. Um, but that's just a personality thing to me. That's not necessarily meaning I'm walking through that. But maybe there's a person who's been trying to call you and you've just ignored them. Because that Python's convinced you, ah, don't talk to that person. They're just going to give you the same answer again. Next one is, the world feels more negative. I think all of us in here could say our world is in a crazy spot right now. And we probably have a lot of things to say, man, like the world is this crazy negative. Uh, but for some of, somebody going through depression, the world feels extra negative, right? It, it just feels like everything from the gas prices to the going to the grocery store, going to that family members luncheon, like it just feels like negative. And this last one is, is, is a really um, good sign is, is muscle aches or pains, right? This is a sure sign that maybe you're going through some depression or some kind of mental health thing in your life where your body is just aching, right? Now, maybe some of you, it's just getting up in the morning and your knees just don't work the same way. And so they're a little achy. That's again, evaluate, say, what's causing this? causing these pains just to feel tired. Jonah recognized his physical needs, but I don't think he recognized the internal needs inside of him. If he did, he would have recognized that his behavior and the fact that he twice said, take my life, and the anger and the depression that came with it, what if he would have recognized these four warning signs? Number two, is we read God's word to change the environment in our soul. This uh, past week, uh, myself and our student leadership team and my wife, Becca, got to go to Passion Conference in Atlanta. And it was just amazing. 55,000 young adults worshiping Jesus and the, and the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is epic. And one of the nights, they introduced this new cause, which they called the 12-verse challenge. And the 12-verse challenge is essentially um, an organization that is dedicated to writing the Bible into every known language for people, groups who don't have the Bible. And believe it or not, I don't know, I didn't write down the numbers, but there's a really large percentage of our world that doesn't have the Bible in their own language. And uh, the, the night that they introduced this, they, they talked about these, this people group called the Amara in Peru. And the Amara is about 250,000 people in, in kind of upper Peru, and they don't have the Bible in their own language. You'd think, well, it's Central America, everyone speaks Spanish. That's not true. 
certain people groups who have their own language. So the pastor of this, this church usually has to preach in Spanish, then he has to translate it into the Amara language. And as they're, they're talking about this, I, I realized in my own life, in my home, I probably have at least 20 Bibles on the shelf. And it made me realize God's word is so powerful. And as Americans, we are so blessed and lucky to have access to every translation imaginable. Right? It made me realize that God's word, am I seeing it as a, as a necessity and as a tool in my life or just an antiquity that sits on the shelf? When we read it, it's more than just reading a good book. It changes the environment in our soul. A research study that was done uh, said that if you read the Bible four times a week, this, this was conducted by Arnold Cole and uh, Pamela Caldwell. Uh, they both hold a PhD. They, they did this research when uh, they evaluated people who had read the Bible four times. Get this. Feeling lonely drops 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside marriage drops 58%. Uh, feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. I love these last two. Sharing your faith drops 200%. And discipling others jumps 230%. So if you're wondering, should I read the Bible? Absolutely. Now, depression isn't on there, but I would, I would say when you're in the Word, that python of depression can't hold on as strong because the environment in you is changing as you're reading it. Right? When you're, when you're reading the Bible, and maybe it's just taking a book of the Bible, one of the great resources our conference, LMC, uh, has put out there, it's called Dwelling in the Word. And it's a practice that's so easy and simple. Dwelling in the Word is basically this, that you take eight verses in in whatever book of the Bible you want, and you read those, and then you pray and ask the Holy Spirit, highlight a word, a phrase, something that jumped off the page. And then you reread it again, and you ask yourself this question, all right, Holy Spirit, what are you wanting to show me about that specific word or phrase? And how can I implement it in my life today? Easy practice. So if you're in here, you want to start a New Year's resolution of reading God's word to change the environment in your soul, super easy practice. All of us can read eight verses, I promise you. We can set aside some time to do that. Reading God's word changes our environment, changes our life. Lastly, number three, is we, we take our depression before the throne of grace. I think, again, for someone who is in the struggle of depression, oftentimes it's hard to seek out help because we feel like if we seek out help, people are going to see who we really are. And maybe you're afraid because you're like, man, if I get real with God, maybe he's going to see that I'm actually a really broken person. Can I assure you, the God of the universe who sent his only son, Jesus, to pay the ultimate price for you, loves you so much that he desperately wants you to come before the throne of grace. He wants you to come in his lap and say, Father, man, I've been going through it. I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm angry. Father God, would you take these things from me? You know, two years ago, exactly, 
uh, three, actually three days ago, would have been two years exactly, my wife and I made the call to come here. And a week after arriving here, my father would pass away from a massive heart attack. And uh, some of you guys know the story well because you were there caring for me and my family so well. And um, the first month, this is usually what happens with depression and grief. The first month was just a heightened state of uh, life is normal. And for me, it was moving to a place I didn't even know, trying to start at a church I had never been to, trying to find a place for me and my family to live. Thank God for the Wagamoves who graciously gave us their home for that season. And then month two, month three, month four, I realized the grief started settling into my heart. I missed my dad. And oftentimes I would be in my office and I would close my door and I would just sob. And I would like, try to smack myself in the face, not literally, but just like, come on, you got to pull yourself together. You have to be the leader this church needs. And I remember Pastor Carl, who's just such a fantastic leader in that time of my life. He said, man, I want you to be assured that you can bring those things to God, but you can also bring them here and no one's going to look down on you. And can I say this? Sometimes depression is a spiritual battle, but sometimes it's a chemical imbalance in which you need some extra help. And so for me, I started going and seeing a counselor. It was the best decision I ever made. Oftentimes in my life, I usually take it before the throne of God. I say, God, I need your help with it. But usually a great wise mentor in my life will tell me, hey man, I think you just need to go see a counselor. And that counselor said, hey, I think you need a low dose of Zoloft just to kind of take the edge off. And I'm sharing that with you because I want you to see, even as a pastor here in this church, I'm not above these things. I'm not above the struggles of depression. Depression can wreak havoc on the most normal person to person that struggles mentally with some stuff. And so I want to encourage you, yes, take it before the throne of grace. But man, if you're in here today, maybe it's time you see someone. There's some wonderful counselors in our community who would love to talk with you and to walk with you. There's some wonderful people here in this church who would love just to give you a hug and embrace you and tell you, hey, there's some people here that are fighting for you. Unlike Jonah who says, man, I just want to give my life. I want to die. Listen, you don't have to die. God loves you. He sees you. And he wants you free of the python of depression in your life. Jonah failed to see that internal battle. Would we not fail as God's church? Would we be a people who says, listen, I'm going to be as transparent as possible. I'm going to let the world see all the crazy stuff that goes on in my life because in that craziness, they can see the scars. They can see God's love coming through. They can see the grace that was there. So I want to, I want to leave us with this. Um, if you're able, if you're able-bodied in here, I just want to ask if you would maybe kneel uh, oftentimes kneeling is a sign of surrender to the Lord. Uh, if you can't kneel, totally fine. You're fine where you're at. But I just want us to kneel. And I just want us to approach the throne of grace this morning. Maybe it's with depression. Maybe it's with one of these other things that we've talked about. Maybe it's with anger or bitterness or loneliness. Father, here we are. broken people, 
who because of your son has made us whole. Lord, all of us have battles in our life right now that we're walking through, but God, you see each battle uniquely. Father, I pray that in this house right now, every person that is hearing my voice, Lord, would would say maybe it's time to break loose the python of depression. They would see that they can't just do it by themselves, but they need your grace. They need your power, Lord. Maybe they need an individual, a counselor, something in their life to help them get free of the cycle. And so, Father, by your power, we say depression, you have to leave your people. We say break off every person in this place. Let hope arise where there's hopelessness. Let your strength arise in this place. wants to end like this, would you just stretch your hands in front of you? We call this an open-handed prayer. I want to read Psalms 139 for us. It says, search me, God. Know my heart. God, would you search us? Would you see the internal struggles and battles? Would you give us your power to overcome those battles, Lord? Test me, Lord. And know my anxious thoughts, Lord. Some of us have some, some battles of just anxiety right now. And Lord, we, we need your help. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lord, if we're holding on to things that maybe are offensive to you, maybe if we're holding on to bitterness or anger, could we be brave enough to say, Father, I need to let it go. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, would you lead us in your way? Would you lead us, Father, in a way that is not just the best way, but, Father, it's the only way? Would you lead us in a way that causes depression in our life to flee and that joy would arise, joy that is contagious, that people begin to see the joy of you in our life? because your ways are better, your ways are higher. We invite you into our life this week. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen, amen. Wow, what a powerful word. I love that uh, reading the Bible changes the environment of your soul. 